As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to the show. It's Justin Briley once more, standing in for Ruth Jackson, who's currently on maternity leave, hosting this season of the podcast with Alistair McGrath. And today, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, two of the greatest writers of the 20th century, were good friends. How crazy is that? So how did Lewis and Tolkien influence each other's faith in writing? We'll be talking about that with Alistair today. Do rate and review the podcast if you can. Helps others to discover the show. People like Lily, who left this review. I can't think of anything more delightful than listening to the delightful Ruth Jackson talking to the delightful Alistair McGrath about the delightful C.S. Lewis. So good. Glad you've enjoyed it, Lily. Obviously left that review while uh, Ruth was hosting. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the episodes that I've been able to host recently with Alistair as well. Uh, And just a reminder, two great opportunities to engage with Premier Unbelievable. That's the, if you like, umbrella ministry that brings you the C.S. Lewis podcast. Uh, We've got a live event with Philip Yancey. Ask Philip Yancey anything. What question would you like to ask the veteran uh, Christian thinker and journalist and author? Um, We're doing that on Tuesday, the 1st of March. You can be part of it unbelievable.live is the place to register for free we've also just launched ticketing for our annual premier unbelievable conference coming live from the british library in london on saturday the 14th of may this year but you can attend from anywhere in the world our seminars discussions and q a will include alistair mcgrath lisa fields glenn scrivener john wyatt bishop joseph de souza sharon dirks sky jatani and phil visher all helping you to speak with truth and grace in uncertain times that's our theme god unmuted it's also going to include a big conversation live event in the evening guests to be announced but if you want to be part of any of these events just go to our website unbelievable.live and there's a link with today's program for now hope you enjoy our conversation Welcome back to this week's edition of the podcast. Uh, always a pleasure to be joined by Alistair McGrath to talk about all things C.S. Lewis, though today we're also focusing on one of his most famous friendships, uh, that with J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, we're going to be looking at who Tolkien was, what he did at Oxford, his own Catholic faith, and how Lewis and Tolkien engaged each other when it came to the genre of fantasy literature. Uh, Tolkien, of course, was influential in Lewis's Christian conversion too, and we'll be looking at their different approaches to the use of allegory when it comes to using Christian allegory in their stories. Um, so welcome back, uh, Alistair. It's, it's great to have you to talk about this. Now, we 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 know that you're a Lewis expert. To, to what extent do you feel your expertise runs when it comes to Tolkien, how familiar do you feel with with him as a contemporary of Lewis's? 
He's a very interesting writer, and obviously I admire him very, very much. Um, and I also know a lot about his relationship with Lewis. But, I mean, obviously there's so much to go into uh, with Tolkien that I, I, I know what matters, but the details sometimes um, I haven't really gone into. Well, we don't need immense amounts of detail, but what about a potted history of Tolkien? Give us a sense of his, his early life, his career at Oxford, and where his love for literature came from and, and how it intersected with his faith. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, there, there are parallels with Lewis here. I mean, uh, Tolkien was actually born in South Africa back in 1892. His father, I think, had been seconded to a bank there. And the family went back to England. Um, and um, there, his mother died in 1904. Now, obviously, there's a parallel there with Lewis. In effect, the mothers who were very formative figures died when they were, you know, weren't even teenagers. So I think that's a very important point. And um, Tolkien's mother, I think, is very significant. She was a deeply committed Catholic. And I have the impression there's always that parental influence on Tolkien at this point. But interestingly, um, Tolkien went on to study uh, at um, Exeter College in Oxford. Now, what's interesting, again, is this, what he studied. He began by studying classics. And, of course, Lewis studied classics. In fact, he, he, he did very well in classics. But then Tolkien decided to change to English and 1915 he got first class honours in English and of course that's the pattern we see in Lewis beginning with classics ending up with English and in effect bringing to the study of English this rich uh, tradition of the classical tradition but then um, Tolkien served in the First World War and that was actually a traumatic experience for him maybe we'll talk about that a bit but after all of that was over in 1925 he came back to Oxford as Professor of Anglo-Saxon uh, and uh, during his time as Professor of Anglo-Saxon, he wrote The Hobbit, and of course, not all of, but most of The Lord of the Rings, and then in 1945 moved to Merton College, where he stayed till he retired in 1959. And of course, we're all thinking about The Lord of the Rings, that he actually completed in 1948, but it wasn't published until 1954-55, when it came out in three volumes. That's a very potted version of his yeah. history, but it, it establishes some landmarks for our discussion. I think <laughs> yes in, indeed and and at what point did Lewis and Tolkien begin to know each other well Lewis and Tolkien got to know each other in May 1926 um, and actually we know about this because Lewis wrote all about it in one of his um, diary entries he talked about how they um, in fact met at an English faculty meeting at Merton College uh, and um, he described Tolkien in less than complimentary terms, um, but nevertheless, there was something about him. And actually, it's interesting that he should have formed a friendship with, with Tolkien, because Lewis was then a sort of Ulster Protestant atheist. And of course, uh, Tolkien was a Catholic, a very, a very, um, a very firmly committed Catholic. So actually, you know, Lewis did feel his uh, Northern Ireland heritage didn't really encourage his friendship at all. But he found Tolkien so interesting, especially when they began to talk about fantasy writing. So I think that they, they began to realize they were not just English scholars, they were writers. They wanted to kind of way begin to um, do creative stuff. And actually Tolkien, I think, began to, began to feel Lewis was someone he could trust. And the problem was that um, Tolkien did have earlier friends who he talked to about his imaginative writing projects, but they had died in the First World War, they'd gone on to other things, and he was bereft of, in effect, 
detect a critical friend who could, you know, um, help him to um, up his game in terms of his writing. And he began to realize Lewis could be the one who really served as a catalyst for his writing project, including, of course, something that was not at the time, but eventually became part of the Lord of the Rings. So were they effectively colleagues within the same academic department, effectively, at Oxford University? Uh, and to that degree, do they share a great deal in common in terms of their common interest in uh, mythology, uh, English, um, you know, literature through the medieval times and so on? But just give us a sense of, of the, the, the sort of shared interest they evidently had from the outset in, in these particular types of literature. Well, they were both members of Oxford's English faculty. Uh, Tolkien, of course, was a much more senior member, um, but um, he was based uh, at Pembroke College at that point, and Lewis was based at Magdalen. So they, they, they would have had professional interaction through the English faculty, but actually they, they, um, they also had their own individual responsibilities at college level and university level. So I think we need to be aware that although they were um, working in the same university, in the same faculty, they were quite distinct. But you're right, there were things being talked about which interested them. And one of them, of course, was the role of myth. Now, that was something that really became important, actually, in the 1930s. Uh, but certainly, um, those ideas were in the oxygen of Oxford at that time. Um, there were, uh, it was a, a topic being discussed in the Faculty of Classics. It was also a topic that was being talked about a bit because of um, interest in the Orient and things like that. And there was always this question of what role do these narratives have in shaping the way we think about the world. So I think what you can say is that before Lewis and Tolkien began to explore that critically important question of the role of these myths for Christianity, they were there. I mean, they, there were things they knew about, but then they began to um, have a very significant conversation, not just about the role of myth, but about myth and Christianity. At this time, Lewis was still an atheist, as you say, when, when he met Tolkien, but absolutely enchanted by um, the, the fantasy writing mythology. His imagination was engaged and, and there was this sort of disjunct, wasn't there, effectively, between the things that gave him most life, if you like, within his imagination and soul and the reality of what he believed, you know, the actual material universe consisted of. I mean, to, to what extent did, did he have that kind of a conversation with with Tolkien was, was did did they start to talk about sort of Lewis's own journey and and the way that his his imagination was at odds almost with the the material world that he kind of conceived as an atheist around him we don't always know what Lewis and Tolkien talked about. We only have some letters and references that might help us. But I think we can surmise that this would have been a topic. Lewis was always very, very clear that his hard-nosed rationalism limited to him, him to what he thought was a rather drab and lifeless world. His imagination seemed to open up something much richer. And, of course, um, his reason said, well, that can't be right. And so Lewis found himself wondering if his imagination, his deepest intuitions were kind 
kind of way disclosing something which reason couldn't actually take him to. Now, you can find similar themes in Tolkien's writings. I do need to say that, but I'm not clear if he got those ideas from Tolkien. What we certainly did get from Tolkien was a critically important question. That was this. Lewis, in effect, um, began to believe in God. Um, he, he gives one date. I think it may have been about a year later, but it doesn't matter. The important point is he did believe in God and then um, began to try and work out what the connection was between believing in God and Christ. And Lewis couldn't really see a very persuasive connection between these. And that was the subject of a long conversation between Lewis and Tolkien and um, Hugo Dyson on uh, Saturday, 19th September, 1931. They had a, I think it was three hours long. It was amazing. They walked, to, there's a circular walk in, in Magdalen College called Addison's Walk. And they walked round and round and round talking about this idea of myth. And let's just be clear. Myth doesn't mean something you invent. Myth is, if you like, a story which captures your imagination and conveys truth. That's the, that is really what Lewis came to see as being the purpose of myth. And Tolkien simply made the point that Christianity tells a story that captures your imagination. It's the story of Christ, but it's also the story of God. Everything's interconnected. And therefore, if you step into the Christian narrative, the Christian myth in this technical sense, you are in effect expanding your imagination to have a deeper vision of the world into which Christ fits easily because of this narrative substructure. And Lewis, I think, was just overwhelmed by this. I mean, we, we know this because he wrote to his, his closest friend, Arthur Greaves, shortly afterwards and just said, hey, you know, I've had this conversation. Everything's changed. And Arthur Greaves said, tell me more. And happily, Lewis mm. did. Uh, he told, uh, wrote him a much longer letter, in effect, talking about the story of Christ as a true myth, something that really happened, but has this capacity to transform us, the way we live, but also the way we think. So that's a, it's a very important point. And actually, mm. I, need, I need to emphasize, you know, um, in Surprised by Joy, um, Lewis does talk about his conversion um, and does mention Tolkien, but in a kind of Tolkien helped me along the final bit of the way. But actually, Tolkien's mm, influence mm. was perhaps more than that. And I think yeah. once you see what it was that Tolkien told Lewis, you can see, A, these guys are going to be friends, and B, this is going to work out in Lewis's writing. And and it's sort of been helpfully elucidated in, in your biography of Lewis and others as well, that Lewis did have a kind of, a multiple step conversion as it were to christianity and so he had this sort of intellectual sort of conversion i i can't remember now was it um on on the top of a bus or on a bicycle i never quite remember um where where he he by the end of the journey he he was convinced that, that there must be a god um and I, as far as i'm aware started attending church but was still not convinced that christianity was true the incarnation was true essentially and and was it this latter part really that that tolkien was involved in helping him to to cross the line towards that's where i think tolkien really helped them uh, again you're quite right um, lewis went through stages um uh, an early stage was just was just beginning to think maybe this idea of god makes more sense than i realized then a, a, a more committed decision this is right and he believes in god but not necessarily christianity and that transition from 
belief in God to belief in the Christian God and a realization of why Christ is so important, that came a little bit later. And Tolkien, if you like, was a midwife to that change of mind. So Mm. we could say without hesitation that really Tolkien is enormously important in the in the creation of a Christian mindset within Luther, not simply a theistic mindset, I believe in God, but actually, really, I believe in God in a Christian way. And that means that Christ is really important for the way that Lewis saw the world and himself. Why didn't Lewis follow Tolkien ultimately towards Catholicism? Was was it simply that that Ulster Irish sort of, you know, couldn't possibly go in that ultimately in that direction? Um, Was he ever tempted to, to sort of walk in the direction of Catholicism, would you say? Well, I think his family history would predispose him against that. Um, I think that, um, if I can put it like this, Lewis was always respectful towards Catholicism, but didn't really see himself as going that way. I mean, basically, as you know, um, Lewis was an Anglican. He regularly attended uh, an Anglican church up in Headington and Oxford. But he, he really, at quite an early stage in his Christian life, began to talk about this idea of mere Christianity, by which he meant, in effect, a sort of shared set of commitments across Christian denominations. And Lewis was quite happy to say, you know, I find my place here. But actually, what really matters is the shared convictions. And that's why I think he he regarded um, Tolkien as um, someone he could talk to about Christianity very, very happily. He didn't, in fact, want to join him in that particular part of Christianity, but he welcomed Tolkien because they shared a Christian faith together. So I think that that is quite an important point. Lewis's way of thinking about mere Christianity makes it easy for him to talk to and welcome and respect Christians from other denominations, particularly from Presbyterianism, but also, of course, from Catholicism. To, to what extent, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, Alistair, but there was a, a sort of biopic a few years ago of Tolkien's life that came out. It was criticised for, for underplaying Tolkien's Catholic faith quite a lot interested to know whether you'd seen it whether you would agree with that um and and to what extent the film i think also kind of you know quite explicitly linked tolkien's um experiences in the first world war with the ultimate creation of lord of the rings um just be interested in your thoughts on some of those connections that were or were not missed when it came to Tolkien's Tolkien's life in that film. Well, I have to say I haven't seen it, but some of my friends have, and they have they've expressed their views quite forcibly about the film. I think <laughs> there are two points that they've made to me. One is it is so dull imaginatively. I mean, I mean, this Tolkien we're talking about. He's, he's mm. he writes this fantastic. He invents these fantastic worlds, and so actually very dull film. <laughs> Is that what they were saying to him? But also, they really kind of way marginalise his faith. I think that's, that's that's common in these movies aimed at the mass market. Um, you know, Shadowlands, the movie about Lewis, is very very. Um, I think, inadequate in portraying Lewis's faith and almost always just pokes fun at it. So I think we have to say that you're not going to get much help through that film from um, for thinking about Tolkien's faith. But actually, the, the First World War experiences are important because we know that um, Tolkien's intense suspicion about technology 
actually reflects his wartime experience. And you've got to try and understand, Tolkien served in the First World War. It was a traumatic experience. And basically, if you think about this, I mean, in, in the kind of literature that Tolkien liked to read, you know, battles where people face, you know, fighting each other face to face. In the First World War, it was about people lobbing shells at you from miles away. You didn't even get to see who killed you. And kind of way, Lewis began to link technology and destructiveness. And actually, we can see that quite clearly in the Lord of the Rings, you know, where we have technology being linked with fashioning weapons of war and the hobbits being praised as a peaceful people, because actually they tend to use technology just to um, grow crops and uh, look after the land. So there's some very interesting points there about Tolkien. To what extent, if, if the First World War did have that sort of impact on Tolkien's writing, did it, did it have any kind of similar impact on Lewis's writing, would you say? Well, I think it did. I mean, Lewis, you have to remember, was an atheist during the um, Great War. And he, he wanted to be remembered as a war poet. Um, and I've read some of those poems he wrote during the war. And, and you know, they're OK. Every now and then there are you know, brilliant lines. But mostly, you know, it's uh, uninteresting with occasional flashes of brilliance. But for me, the important thing about Lewis is po- his poetic brilliance is transferred mm. to his prose. So in fact, when you mm. read, for example, Surprised by Joy, you feel there's a poet writing this. You know, he's very, very good. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, Lewis's wartime reflections are mainly... If I can put it like this, irritation verging on outright anger and disgust that God has allowed this kind of war to happen. And Lewis, I think, later came to feel he'd overreacted. Actually, maybe it was the fault of human beings that there was this war. God couldn't really be blamed for it. But it, it is, I think, very characteristic of Lewis during his atheist phase. He, 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 he blamed God for not existing, because if God did exist, he, could, he could really could uh, have a good ground for blaming him for the war. But as there was no God, because he was an atheist, he couldn't actually do that. So it was really very um, puzzling for him. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's edition of the podcast. If you want more from the show, go to cslewispodcast.com. And if you want to support us, you can do that from there or indeed with the links on today's podcast. And don't forget about those forthcoming live events from Premier Unbelievable. Ask Philip Yancey anything on the 1st of March and Unbelievable, the conference 2022 in May. Uh, Alistair McGrath will be one of our keynote speakers. Unbelievable.live for more on that. The links are with today's show. Next time, we'll continue the conversation on Lewis and Tolkien, talking about the Lord of the Rings and the role of myth and imagination in Christianity. Until then, God bless and best wishes. Best wishes.